Hello and welcome to the Irish Fire Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Halton. I'm an entrepreneur, investor, and financial independence enthusiast, sharing my financial freedom journey. Stay tuned and welcome aboard. I thought it might be interesting to do a bit of reflection on the last two and a half years of the podcast in particular, but also just take some time to maybe give an update on some of the things that I've talked about on the podcast in the past that probably haven't turned out as well as they should have. You see, it's quite interesting when you put anything out there in the world because recency bias is a real thing. And there's been a few mistakes, a lot of mistakes that I've made over the last two and a half years. And it's always a little bit hard because I'm out there talking about things and I guess trying things and talking about it on the podcast. And it's not until you go back and listen to some of the older episodes that uh, I'm sitting there cringing as I hear some of the things that I was trying and some of the advice that I was giving. But as it is, I actually quite enjoy reflecting on this sort of stuff. I find it somewhat enjoyable in terms of it's a little bit funny and it's a little bit tongue-in-cheek and I thought it might be eh, a little bit fun to do a list of the top 10 regrets that I've had since I started my FIRE journey. And just to make it a little bit more fun, I've even attempted to order them. So I'll start from number 10 down to number 1. And hopefully these will, I guess, give a little bit of an update on some of the things that I've tried and maybe it hasn't worked out so well. All right, here we go. So number 10, underestimating my FI number. I'm grossly underestimating it that, I should point out. So I think very early on, I had a podcast episode with Paddy Delaney on his podcast, Informed Decisions. And I think I said something like, ah, yeah, my FI number is about 200,000 euro. And obviously that's just madness, right? So it was, you know, there would have been people listening there going, sure, I've got 200,000 euros, I'm not retired. So yeah, a little bit hard to listen to that one back. It's one of these things with FI numbers where, yeah, Sure, in theory, you could retire on that amount, but it's just not going to last you long enough. And I actually read something interesting the other day. It was the definition of lean FI, which was something like retire on a small FI number, telling your friends and family that you're retired or secretly hustling away to make sure that you have enough income coming through. And I guess there's truth in that. And as I mentioned in the last episode, I'm certainly not sure that I'm going to be drawing down on my portfolio anytime soon anyway. And I'm pleased to actually report that I've started enjoying work a lot more, probably the most enjoyment in the last four or five years, which is fantastic, obviously. But um, yeah, it's one of these things where you go out and you, I guess you put a number out there in the world and then you get there and you go, oh man, no, that's not enough. But yeah, it was way, way underestimating the fire number first up. So number nine, owning slash promoting cryptocurrency. So I am so anti-crypto now that the fact that I've even entertained it in the past is definitely a little bit cringy. I sold out all my crypto mid last year before the big crypto crash, thankfully, and it was largely thanks to Ben from the Limerick FI group, who I guess gave me enough information to realize that crypto is most likely nothing more than a big Ponzi scheme. So really glad to be out of that one. It just doesn't do anything or serve any purpose. And as Ben says, it's nothing more than magic internet monies. So it really is a Ponzi scheme waiting to happen. The question for anybody that's genuinely investing in crypto long term, I would ask that question. Do you really think it's going to be here in 40 or 50 years and it really doesn't serve any purpose and if something is that difficult to find a reasonable purpose for it then we have to ask ourselves what is the point of this so yeah really happy to be out of that but at the same time gutted that I've promoted it a little bit and owned it here and there and I guess I didn't promote it hugely so I don't lose too much sleep on this one but yeah not not great number eight not buying property sooner slash over investing in my pension 
So yeah, this is this is an interesting one. I think I probably underestimated the ability of what my income was going to do. So back in 2019, when I was working part-time, I kind of worked things out and I managed to work half as much for the same amount of money and everything looked pretty rosy. And look, COVID came along and has been a huge game changer for me. I mean, in fairness, even though COVID's been terrible, from an income point of view, it's it's been amazing. Uh, our income has actually tripled since 2019 um, just because of the opportunities that are available and the size of the contracts that I'm getting and you know, huge, massive organizations that I'm now doing work for that back in 2019 just didn't exist. So, you know, early on, it just didn't seem like property was going to be something. It just seemed like the deposit to save was going to take too long, a year or two. And it just didn't seem viable to have cash sitting on the sideline. Again, it's it's one of these ones where it's really is a hindsight issue. I just never expected my income to, to get to the level that it is today. But at the same time, you know, had I not mucked around in 2018, 2019, I would have definitely had another investment property now that would have done quite well over the last couple of years, you know. So definitely a regret. It was not focusing and thinking about how property could play it was very much a case of oh no I don't want to be a landlord and oh no too hard and dismissed it rather than asking the bigger questions of how can I do this so yeah definitely definitely one to regret but uh, look it is what it is number seven somewhat related to the previous one but over investing in the share market in 2021 Right, so some of these regrets are fairly recent, but um, and look, we're always learning. That's part of the game. That's part of the fun. Hopefully the learning gets less and less expensive, but we'll see. I'm still, still buying property these days, so you just don't know if I'm going to buy a lemon or not. That could be the next fun story. Hopefully not. But anyway, last year in the share market, it just seemed like the world had gone crazy and we were sort of sold on this new economy. And I was definitely pouring money into that pension when the market was at the top. And even though I kind of knew deep down it was at the top, very difficult to see a correction coming. And, you know, obviously 2022 has been sobering for the share market. The Ukraine conflict has certainly been a massive catalyst. Inflation, higher interest rates, all that sort of negative stuff that doesn't do wonders for the share market. And look, I was saving cash, probably not enough cash at the time. And that's probably been the big hindsight that had I had a little bit more cash in 2021, I would have been able to time things a little bit better. But uh, yeah, just definitely regret that. And again, missed an opportunity last year to be putting more of a deposit together. Not that I think necessarily it was a great time to buy a house last year, but um, maybe just a case where it would have been nice to at least had the option. You know, some less in the share market last year, more cash would have been probably better. All right, number six. These are getting worse, by the way, as they go through, just as a reminder. Always good fun when you're writing these lists to go through and have to order them. Trying to retire through businesses slash passive income rather than boosting income. So yeah, I went through this pretty much from the start of 2019. And when I launched the podcast, it was my kind of plan A back at the time, but basically thinking that I could somehow put a business together and a scalable business together that was going to provide all this amazing passive income and mean that I wasn't going to need to go and do the grind and save and invest. And look, it was good in practice. And look, in fairness, a lot of people have gone down that road and it's worked for them. But I think it's just such low odds when you actually look at it. I think it's far easier in terms of percentages to work on income rather than trying to build some sort of great business system that's just going to have you sitting on a beach somewhere whilst the money just rolls in and since all of this stuff I probably realized that passive income as well is a little bit of a, a little bit of a myth a lot of people actually call it deferred income so you actually work hard at the start to get the payout later and that always has an element of risk sometimes just taking the money and saving and investing it is probably the better path so yeah definitely definitely one where I've spent a lot of time and money trying to get stuff going that just didn't really work out and again time that would have been better spent on me focusing on increasing my income. All right, into the top five now. Peer-to-peer lending. Oh, peer-to-peer lending. Where did I go wrong? 
you know, the funny thing about peer-to-peer lending was when I first looked into it, and I remember it quite specifically, I was like, oh, dude, don't go anywhere near this. This sounds dodgy. I remember looking at YouTube videos of people in the US who were like, dude, this peer-to-peer lending stuff is bad news. But it was really overhyped up in Europe. And it was a big thing back in 2019. It really, really was. There was a lot of bloggers talking about it and they'd gone and met everybody and, you know, interest rates were low. So it was a good system in terms of some sort of private entity lending out money because, hey, the banks weren't lending. And I guess it was just all too good to be true. You know, Mintos had interest rates of 12% plus. I think other platforms were promising 15% plus and you didn't have to be an expert to work out, oh, 15% interest over five years, you'll double your money and all this sort of stuff. But uh, in the end, of course, it was all heavily unregulated and there was a whole lot of scamming going on that was all well and good up until there was a little bit of a downturn with COVID-19 hitting and then we started to see it and it was just like an absolute mudslide when things started to go bad so yeah I really do apologize for anybody that uh, that heard me doing peer-to-peer lending and thought that was a good idea and look not all the platforms are bad it hasn't all been bad in terms of you know there's been some loans that have been good but typically things went one of two ways either a the platform was bad and it was all a big scam or two the loans went bad and I think this is a problem with peer-to-peer lending is they had all these buyback guarantees so everything sounded really really good but of course it doesn't make a difference if, if it's a bad loan it's a bad loan if somebody refuses to pay it back there really isn't much that can be done so yeah expensive lesson expensive lesson and really the the hindsight there was actually being put into either property or regulated investments so yeah nice one mike all right number four investing in a private company Now, again, I'm not against investing in a private company that you have control over, but if you're going to go and hand your money over to to an entity, make sure you have some sort of element of control. And we see these with the EISS schemes and so on. In this case, it was a CEDAS campaign, and I got a little bit sweet-talked by the CEO to put down a fairly decent chunk of money of around 10,000 euros, and I was promised a fairly decent return over an 18-month period. And of course, the 18-month period came and went, and my money is still stuck in there. Technically, hasn't lost money. The company's probably valued it more money than it was when I put the investment in. However, I've really got no avenue to get the money out. I basically need to find another investor to be able to sell. So it's put me in a bit of a state where that money is basically in purgatory. And uh, yeah, I have never actually recorded that on the portfolio because I almost knew instantaneously from the time I invested it. Within a week or two, I was like, oh, what have I done? So yeah, it wasn't uh, wasn't my best move, but again, learned the hard way. And I guess the thing is, you've got to sometimes put these things in a little bit of perspective. The 10,000 euros, whilst a lot in 2020, it's only a month worth of saving for me these days. So definitely isn't as bad as it could be. And look, I could get that money back one day, but I certainly ain't holding my breath. All right, down to the top three. Number three, starting too many companies. So again, this is somewhat tied into the passive income one, but it's one thing to go and try and venture down with passive income. But in the end, I was so worried about tax efficiency that I ended up just starting too many companies, which became extremely expensive because of the accountancy fees. So starting a company up in Ireland, very cheap. You can do it for around 100 euros odd, but then you've got the accounting costs and I have been pretty much unable to find any accountant that would do a company's tax returns for any less than a thousand euros a year. If you do know of somebody, please do drop me an email, by the way, at michaelfirepodcast.e. I'd always like to get a quote. But uh, yeah, very, very difficult to uh, to do. And there's a lot of paperwork involved as well. And if the company's not earning much money, that becomes fairly chunkily expensive pretty, pretty quickly. And then of course, there's also a fairly significant cost to fold a company. Although I did recently find a service that does it for around 200 euros, which is a lot less than I was charged by my own accountant to dissolve my company. So that's been yeah a little bit of a lesson. Uh, I did end up setting up three companies, which I had to dissolve. So the first was Hockey Evolution, which was like a kind of a hockey coaching company that I had. Now I will say that not all of this is bad news because whilst the company did fold, I ended up basically taking all of the kids that I'd built up 
through that business and then set them up on a new hockey club that I launched. So as I said, that, that hockey club is still around today, 200 members. Every Sunday for 24 weeks a year is basically me down on a hockey field helping out 200 kids play hockey and teaching them. So there's definitely lots of feel good out of it. But uh, yeah, it was an expensive way to set up a hockey club for me in terms of actually what I spent to get the thing going. The second one then, Edge Forex. So when I was doing my Forex trading, I set up my own private company for it, which is just ridiculous. I could have just done it within my web development company in hindsight. Again, cost a fortune to for the upkeep and dissolving the company when I finally got rid of it. And finally, Forestry Crowd, which is one I think I mentioned back in early 2020. So again, I had this great idea of forming a private company to put investors together to buy forestry. And in the end, again, the spinoff there has been amazing. Uh, we have a co-op that was set up, Andrula. I'll put a link in the show notes. We're actually doing another fundraising now uh, for our fourth site. So things are going great there in terms of planting native trees and getting the forestry premiums for that. And it's a lovely, transparent and democratic organization because of the co-op structure. But doing it as a private company was always going to be a disaster. And even the name Forestry Crowd wasn't really great. It was at the back of the peer-to-peer lending crash. So everything about it was wrong. And, you know, you kind of fight for it for so many months, losing hours of sleep on it, trying to work out how to make it happen. And look, in the end, the final resolution was great. I definitely don't regret what happened with the co-op. And I certainly wouldn't have probably started a co-op otherwise if I hadn't set up Forestry Crowd in the first place. But again, very, very expensive to go and set up a company just to have to get rid of it with no actual trading income. So yeah, just just be warned if you are setting up a company to make sure you're in a great place before you do it. All right, number two, we're almost there. Forex trading, both managed and active and really any sort of short-term trading. It was a disaster for me and it was more probably not so much a financial disaster, even though it was, it was a financial disaster as well. But in the end, I kind of broke even to a degree. Um, I had some really bad days. The day that I lost 6,000 euros trading gold, that was horrible. Um, and then just a whole lot of nervous night sleeps, watching the markets in the middle of the night and yeah, trying to learn. And I put learn in double quotes there because short-term trading is really nothing more than a gamble. You know, you can look at a chart and think that you're going to be predicting some sort of price movement, but it just doesn't work that way. There's just so many factors going on. There's 8 billion people in the world. There's so many things happening every single day that all of these things can shift the market so quickly. And when you're trading with leverage as well, it really is a risky, foolish game. So in the end, you know, I'd really hoped that I was going to become this amazing trader. And I thought, oh, yeah, I'm a fairly smart guy. I'm fairly logical thinking. I should be able to handle all of this stuff. And to be honest, I just don't know. I don't know what the X factor is when it comes to trading. I, I genuinely don't think there is one. So my advice is stay away from it. Focus on income. And I would be much better off focusing on income back in 2019 when I was trading than actually spending time trading. So, yeah, definitely a big regret. And look, Forex is just, I don't know, too much leverage, too much control from the banks and yeah, fool's game. Hard lesson to learn. All right, number one, the one regret that I probably had the least amount of control over was actually one that happened before 2019. So it's my probably my longest regret, simply not starting sooner. So I had so many opportunities throughout my 20s and even early 30s to get started to put something away, but we were just spending everything. And it was one of those things where you look back and you kind of go, gosh, even if I just had 10,000 euros, even maybe 20 would be nice. And had that compounding over a 10 year period, given what happened in the share market from 2013 onwards, or even in property prices from 2013 onwards. And look, we did buy our first primary house in 2013. So we definitely didn't miss the boat per se, but we could have definitely stretched ourselves a lot more and 
Had I focused on income a lot more back then, it would have made a huge difference because there were definitely opportunities back then that I was missing when I look back. So what's the takeaway here? Look, there's lots of takeaways. It's always fun to hear about somebody's regrets and what should have been done and hindsight and all that stuff. But at the end of it, I, I really do see financial independence as the three key things, the triangle I call it, right? So the income, the expenses, and the investing. And look, I've messed up on the investing side. I get that. I've still managed to build a portfolio over five years of around 300,000 euros plus. So it's certainly not all bad news. But my big factor has been the income side of that spectrum. My return from an investment point of view has definitely not been as great as it should have been. So I've certainly been relying on income to be the big golden factor in that triangle. So just keep that in mind. The last thing there that I want to mention is that, as I said earlier in the episode, I never thought my income would ever get to where it is now. I just didn't think it was ever possible. But I proved myself that it is, and it was simply through perseverance. When I finally got a clear headspace and started focusing on income, taking the opportunities that were presented, that's when I was able to actually boost that income up and compound it over time. So it can be done and it does make a huge difference to your own FIRE journey. As always, if you have any questions on this episode, reach out to me at michael at firepodcast.ie. If you haven't already, check out firepodcast.ie and do subscribe to the newsletter. I do share monthly updates on my portfolio on the blog as well. I look forward to catching you on the next episode.